Very good. Well, it's great to be here and worshiping with each other. What a great time of worship we just had. Can we say thanks to our worship team for what they do just week in and week out to lead us? Just so gifted, and they share that with us. Um, it's great to be here together, though, as always, just worshiping Jesus and learning from his word and uh, just kind of stepping out of the anxiety and the pressure and the chaos sometimes of life and stepping into a place where we can just have like a non-anxious time together because Jesus is here. He's with us right now. And so I want to welcome you to that. Just whatever you've had on your heart and your mind, just set that aside right now. Let's just step into this place where the Holy Spirit's going to speak to us. Jesus is going to be present with us in this time. I don't know if, if you're like me, if you ever look around at people and you think, man, they have it easy. You ever think that? I think it all the time. I'm like, man, if I just had half as many resources as they did, if I just got the same opportunities they did, wow, that, if their life is so easy. I don't watch a lot of YouTubers, but yesterday I was watching one. Y'all may know him. I'm going to name drop him because he's a really safe one to name drop. He's not like controversial in any way. His name's Zach King. He does all the, he does these illusions. Anybody know Zach King? Any TikTokers know Zach King? He's like the number one guy on TikTok. So, and no one's going to admit TikTok though. Still, that's still like a, a embarrassing to admit you're on TikTok all the time. We know you are though. We know you are. So Zach King put out this video um, of his, he just, they just had their third kid. And so Zach's like a super positive guy, always like everything's happy and optimistic. And maybe that's just for the cameras. Maybe that's how he really is. And then he's, you know, he's showing off this cute little baby they had. And it's just like, they're so excited about everything and life's so good. I was like, man, that guy's got it easy. Like he's at the top of what he's doing. He's got tens, hundreds of millions, probably of people watching him every month. He's got this like amazing, perfect little kid that he just got back from the hospital with his wife. And like, this guy's like got it easy. But it's easy to think that from the outside. But the truth is, that guy's got a little baby now. He is not sleeping at all right now. Like any, any parents here are like, no, that guy's got it hard right now. His life is not easy. It's the opposite. But the truth is, anybody's life we look at from the outside can sometimes look easy. But often we fail to understand maybe the challenge that takes place behind the scenes. What I found often is the successful people I've looked at and want to learn from is often the challenges they face are challenges, challenges they've chosen. And people who are struggling, often the challenges they're in are ones that they, they were just trying to get away from. Like th there's a difference in how people approach challenges. There's a difference also in how you approach what you have. I've just found successful people tend to use the resources they have instead of complaining about what they don't have. They tend to make use of what's there. And, but, but still behind the scenes, it's, it's hard. And we won't know, like if you look at someone who's successful, you won't know ever the, the challenge behind the scenes, the frustration, the isolation they go through. Now, this is, this is true about most of life, but it's also true spiritually. Sometimes you, you're struggling spiritually, and you look at somebody else, and they have it easy. If I could just have the background they had or the opportunities they had, but you don't always realize the sacrifice required to be where they're at, the struggle that's still involved in their lives. I think this is true about Jesus. Right? As Christians, we're called to be followers of Jesus, live our lives like he lived. In fact, 1 John, a right, follower of Jesus, writes a letter and he says, we should walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. You're like, well, okay, I could do that if I were Jesus. You ever had this thought? Like Jesus was God in the flesh. He was human and God. He, he had a little advantage, right? A little easier for him. Sometimes we even look at Jesus and think, well, like not that his life was easy, but he was also God, right? How, how hard could that be to be God on this earth? Literally, he had God mode from the time he was born, right? He walked in that. How, how hard could his life be? But then you see over and over again the, the sacrifice involved in his life and the struggle that he chose to step into for other people 
But even at that point, you're like, man, Jesus had some advantages. No question he did. But I want us to step into Jesus' life in a different way and see how the Holy Spirit was involved in his life. So instead of stepping back and saying, man, Jesus, I could never live like him even though we're called to, I want us to step in and see how the Holy Spirit was involved in Jesus' life and learn how maybe the Holy Spirit could be involved in our lives as well. If you have your Bible, go and open it up to the, the Gospel of Luke. This is the third book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. It's one of the accounts of Jesus' life. There are four accounts of Jesus' life given to us, and we call these Gospels. They tell the story of Jesus. They all do it in a little bit different way. And this is what I love, is that you can study the Bible over and over and always learn something new. But every single one of these authors didn't just put some stories together. They didn't, they didn't just put you know, these Gospels together like you and I write papers if you're in school. It's like, just kind of throw a bunch of stuff together, try to make it look good, see if the punctuation is mostly solid, and submit it, right? That's not, your research paper is just like copy and paste some stuff and then add some other stuff in between and there we go. No, the gospel writers were led by the Holy Spirit to carefully put together these accounts of Jesus' life to show us not just in the words, but even how it was set up and how it fits together, show us what was going on in the life of Jesus. So Luke chapter 1, we'll pick it up in verse 34. The angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, hey, you're going to have a son. And he's going to be the son of the Most High. And so she says in verse 34, Mary, the mother of Jesus, said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? Totally valid question. How is this going to happen? Uh, there, there's a couple steps, Gabriel, angel. I know you're an angel, not a human, so you may not understand this. A couple steps that have to take place between me and a kid. And this is Gabriel's response. The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age also has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is not the beginning of Jesus' earthly life. This is pre-beginning of Jesus' earthly life. This is the account of how Jesus came into existence as a human. And what we learn here is that the, the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. This word come upon is used very rarely in the New Testament of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's a Greek word, eperkamai, which means literally how the translation goes, to come over something or come upon something. And we're told here the Holy Spirit will come upon Mary and the, the power, it talks about a power that's there, right? the power from the Most High, the, the power, there's always in the New Testament, or almost always, this connection between power we're given and the Holy Spirit. So Mary said, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you, and the, the, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And then the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now I want to walk us through something for a minute, because what we're going to learn is that what is conceived in Mary is from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has enabled her to become pregnant, and Jesus is who she's pregnant with. And he is the Son of God. Now, the Son of God, that's a very common term. We think this is probably all throughout the Bible, you know, all throughout the Gospels. The truth is, it's not. The Son of God term doesn't appear all that often. Here in Luke, it actually only appears six times. One of the times is here. Four of the times is when opponents of Jesus are coming at him, when Satan is coming at him, when demons are coming at him, when the Pharisees are coming at him. The term Son of God is used. But it's used here, and then Luke uses it one other time. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at how Luke uses this term and then what he's trying to tell us about how the Holy Spirit is involved in Jesus' life. 
So the Holy Spirit's going to come on Mary, and, and she's going to have the Son of God. And it goes on to talk about the process of what that looks like in her life. Um, we go around, and we see about her, her, her cousin Elizabeth, who's also pregnant, John the Baptist. We see Zechariah's prophecy. Then we get this whole story of the birth of Jesus, and this is the classic one, Bethlehem, the shepherds. Jesus is presented at the temple. We get just one story of Jesus as a young boy or as a man, a young man, and then we hear about John the Baptist. I'm walking us through this because it leads us to the point where Jesus is baptized, and then we get the part where we all just hit autopilot in our Bible reading. In, in Luke chapter 3, we get the genealogy of Jesus. It starts off with Jesus and works your way all the way back to Adam. Okay, this, this is the boring part. So let me, give you, let me give you an example. Verse 27, the son of Jehoanan, the son of Rasa, son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adi, the son of Kosam, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur. This is the stuff where it feels like there is nothing spiritual about it. It's just an account of weird names, the names you don't want to name your kids, right? This is, this is the but better believe Gen Z and millennials are going to rock this one. Like, give me a little Shealtiel. Come on. Where's the, we need a kid named that. Kid named Ur kid named Joda. That's like Yoda, but Joda, it's kind of cool. You get all these random names, and it ends up in the final verse, verse 38 of chapter 3. The son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Because Adam was created directly by God. Now, when Luke uses this term about Adam, it's very particular. He's not just saying, oh, yeah, I guess because God created him. He's the son of God. Luke's using this term very particularly to describe Adam, because he's trying to make a point here that Adam was the first son of God, the first person to be created, but Jesus is also the son of God in a different way. He's trying to make the point that Jesus is a new kind of human, that only the Holy Spirit could create through Mary. Jesus is a new kind of human who's going to live in a totally different kind of way. Jesus is the second Adam who comes, and we're told then in Luke chapter 4, what the second Adam looks like. What are the characteristics? I mean, if you, were, if you were creating the new human, right? You just got to model the new human. Like, what would you add or subtract or change? Belly buttons would have to go. That's just weird, right? Like, belly buttons are just funny. And I know they're essential here, but if I'm creating an updated human, we can just get rid of that. I'm going to get rid of the, the possibility of back and knee problems. Right? Like, I just feel like in the updated version of humanity, we need to say no to those things. Can I get an amen from somebody? Somebody's creaking today, right? You might be 25, you might be 55, but somebody's creaking in this place. Like, up to what would an updated, like, what would the new kind of human look like? And, and when, when God creates Jesus, right, this new kind of human, now Jesus, right, has existed in all eternity, but his, his humanness, he was created. He creates him in a different kind of way. Here's what we learn in Luke chapter 4. This new son of God comes. And what's the first thing we learn? Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. What we learn about this new kind of human is he's not only created by the Holy Spirit, but he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is Jesus we're talking about. He's fully God. He's fully human, but he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says he returned from the Jordan, and then he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. Jesus is filled with this new kind of human, filled with the Spirit. He's also led by the Spirit. And then you probably know this story well. What happens in the next few verses is that Jesus is tempted three times by Satan. And every single time, instead of giving in to the temptation, he looks back to the Word of God and he says, it is written. I want to encourage you here. When you are tempted, you don't have to face your temptation alone. 
go to the Word of God. This is why you memorize the Word of God and your temptation. You begin to quote God's Word, and, and you will be able to resist temptation. The first thing we learn about Jesus, this new kind of human, is that he is able to resist temptation. He's willing to say no to it. He's willing to not give in. Now, temptation, I want to encourage someone here. The temptation you're facing is not the same as sin you are committing. Sometimes we, we let ourselves get beat down because we're being tempted and tried and tested. And, but that's not the same because Jesus himself lived without sin, but he was tempted. He didn't give in. The first thing we see about this new kind of human is that this new kind of human is able to resist temptation, stand firm against it. Here's the next thing we see. So in chapter 4 as well, verse 14, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Notice that again. He's living in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. A report went out about, went out about him, went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. Now imagine, I mean, Jesus is going back to his hometown, to his home church. Now I don't know if some of you have a home church you grew up in. Not all of us grew up in church, but like back at the home church where you grew up, they know everything about you, right? They know everything about your family. They know everything going on. And they just, so Jesus is stepping back into all of those relationships. Jesus is stepping back probably into the hypocrisy he saw growing up. Jesus is stepping back into all of this. But it says Jesus went back to that synagogue, the gathering place for Jews, as was his custom. Jesus, God in the flesh, made it a habit every single week of going to the synagogue. And he probably heard teaching about this coming Messiah, and he knew that was him. And the teaching was probably not good sometimes. And he knew that person over there, that lady was a real hypocrite, and that guy was a real hypocrite. And Jesus kept going, and he kept showing up week after week. And Jesus shows up again in verse 17. It says that the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus used this as kind of his personal mission statement. He says, The Spirit of the Lord's on me. He's anointed me and, and to, to bring deliverance and freedom to all people. Here's the second thing Luke wants us to see about this new kind of human. This new kind of human is able to resist temptation. But this new kind of human is also able to live in a spirit-empowered ministry. This new kind of human is empowered to minister by the power of the Spirit of God. And Luke sets this up to show us what the Holy Spirit can create. Jesus' ministry from start to finish was empowered by the Spirit of God. The Spirit was moving, ministering through him, ministering to him. The Spirit was involved integrally in Jesus' life. If we look at Jesus and say, we want to live like Jesus, we need to have the Spirit involved in our lives. Now, I said at the beginning that, that this word, this Greek word, epercomai, it's a, the word used to describe the Holy Spirit coming upon Mary to conceive Jesus. It's only used two times of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes upon something or someone. The first time was with Mary. The Holy Spirit came upon Mary. The second time, flip in your Bibles to the book of Acts, just a couple books ahead. Acts is, is the sequel to Luke. Acts is the, the second, uh, second installment that tells not just the story of how Jesus came, but now how Jesus continued his ministry through the church. 
And at the beginning of this, Jesus is teaching his followers. He says, hey, wait in Jerusalem because I'm going to baptize the Holy Spirit with fire. In verse 6, when they had all come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? The disciples are asking a question. And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, eperkamai, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Luke here is very, very clearly setting up that just like the Holy Spirit came upon Mary to conceive a new kind of human in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is going to come on the disciples to create a new kind of human, which will be the followers of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is creating a new kind of humanity. That new kind of humanity is, is you and me. As we're filled with the Spirit, and we should be marked by the exact same two things that Jesus was. Luke is doing this intentionally. He set, up, he set it up to where at the beginning of Luke, we see the Holy Spirit creating a new kind of human. And at the beginning of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples to create a new kind of humanity. And that humanity will be marked by the same things Jesus was. You see this in the book of Acts. We're marked by the ability to resist temptation. We've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to resist temptation. I was, I was in Lowe's the other day, buying some stuff, got a, got a nice bit. You can spend so much money so quick at that place. That's like my version of Hobby Lobby for some of you ladies. You know, I just walk in there and I just walk out with stuff. So it was like close to a thousand bucks of stuff I got. And because of what I was getting, I, I paid for it in the back in the section where they rung me up back there. And so I walk out with it. And anybody else ever feel a little weird when you're walking out and not going through the checkout? I have my receipt. I'm like waving my receipt like a flag. You know, I'm pushing my cart like nobody jumped me. And I start walking out. And so as I'm walking out, I see the guy over there checking people out. I just wave my receipt, you know, a little white flag. Don't, don't, don't jump me. Don't hurt me. I could do this all the time. Just get a receipt, load up a cart, and just push it out. And be like, yep, yep, I'm good. Yeah, second time today, same stuff. Just, yep, here we go. Just like get one of those big riding lawnmowers, you know, zero turns, and just like drive it out. Wave my receipt. I'm good. I got it. No, we're good. We're good. Like get one of their own little machines they drive around, you know, in Lowe's with, and just drive that out. Wave the receipt. I'm good. I'm good. They just let me go. And I had this weird fleeting thought. I don't know if you ever have these in kind of intrusive thoughts. I could just steal some stuff. Like it wouldn't be hard. I got a really, it looks ever have a nice guy. Like I could just push it out, wave the receipt, boom. And I just like, like had that thought. Anybody else ever have thought, it's just me. Okay, it's just, it's just me. This is confession time then. Now that was like, literally that was a temptation, but not a big one. It was like a, the kind of thing you laugh at and you're like, that was weird. You know, you just kind of wonder if Satan was like, let's try this one. Like, Elijah's never stolen something, but let's just try that one. Okay, it didn't work. Okay, like, I can resist that temptation pretty easily. No problem. But then there are other temptations that are going to be a lot harder to resist. But the Holy Spirit, when he comes into our life, he's created us to be a new kind of humanity. He gives us the capacity by his power to resist all temptation. Somebody needs to hear this. It is possible as a Christian filled with the Holy Spirit, walking after Jesus to resist all temptation. Jesus always gives us a way out. He's always empowered us. Now we may put ourselves up, set ourselves in situations where we will fail because we've set ourselves up for that. But the Holy Spirit gives us the capacity, he empowers us to resist all temptation. He's created us, he's turned us into a new kind of humanity. 
And we don't do it by our own power. We do it based on the word of God and the power of the spirit. But the Holy Spirit has made us able of that. The Holy Spirit also in creating a new kind of humanity in us has also empowered us for ministry. Like Jesus talks about when he quotes Isaiah 61. The Holy Spirit has empowered us to bring freedom to other people. By the power of God, by the power of his word, but he has given us the capacity to be involved in what he's doing. That we can pray for someone who's experiencing demonic oppression and they can be free. We can pray for healing for someone and they can be healed. That we can enter into someone's life who's struggling with addiction and we can walk with them through that and by the power of God, they can be set free. We've seen that. We have so many testimonies of that. Even in this room right now, we could give testimony time on freedom from addictions and freedom from demonic oppression. We could give testimony of those things. The Holy Spirit empowers us to resist temptation. The Holy Spirit also empowers us to minister like Jesus did. I think often we look at Jesus and we think that's, like Jesus was just in a different category. And yes, he was, but the category he was in was one that invites us to be filled with the Spirit and to be able to resist all temptation and to be able to minister in his power and his authority. My question in all of this, and maybe the question you have is, sounds great, how do I get to that place? How, how do I experience this? Like, sounds like a good opportunity, but what is going to have to take place to get me there? And I, I want to resist the temptation, because what I'm always looking for in times like this is a quick and easy checklist, right? Just like, check one, like, you know, go fast for 40 days like Jesus did. Okay. Check two, go live in Bethlehem for a while like Jesus did. Check three, live in Nazareth next. Like, what are the things we have to do? And really, when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about a relationship. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is personal. So how, how are we entering into deeper relationship with the Holy Spirit? And so I'm not going to give you a, a list of things to do. I think there is a level of we have to work through this where the Lord has us. But I do want to point you to something we see in both of these stories. If you want to live this kind of life that Jesus had, you've got to respond in the same way in which we see people in the Bible responding. For instance, at the end of Luke, what we've already read, at the end of Luke chapter 1, verse 38, Mary's response to the angel. Mary's just told this, this crazy thing, that power from on high, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and he'll be the son of God, a new kind of human. And, and Mary here, her response is, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I'm here to obey. I'm here to do what you say, what the Lord says. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells them in verse 4, he says, Hey, don't depart from Jerusalem. Stay in Jerusalem. As soon as Jesus gets done talking to them and rises to be with the Father, it says, verse 12, then they return to Jerusalem. What we see in both of these stories is this immediate obedience. A reliance on what God has said, on his word, following it, trusting him, and the Holy Spirit comes in response to that. The Holy Spirit shows up, listen to this, in response to our obedience. Some of us have been struggling through some things for a long time, and we want the Holy Spirit to come and bring us freedom, maybe to help us resist temptation, or to be empowered for ministry like Jesus was. 
but we're not obeying the clear thing he's put in front of us. We're not forgiving when he tells us to forgive. We're going to hold on to that. We're not choosing to love our husband or love our wife like we're supposed to because we, we want to hold on to a little bitterness. We're not willing to spend time with the Lord every single day in his word and in prayer, but we still expect him to show up even when we're not showing up for him. The Lord responds to obedience in our lives. Just little steps of obedience. What he has made clear, walk in, and then his spirit will come. Many of us, though, are living without the consistent presence and leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit. Because of that, we're living below what the gospel says we can live. I found out a week or two ago that the gym I've been going to for nine months, that they have a hydro massager in there. They also have something that's way less interesting to me, but one of these things that will scan your body and tell you what percentage of body fat you are and stuff. I'm not interested in that. But I am interested in the hydro massager. I've actually seen people in the gym. I was, I'll be working out in there. And I'll see people going back into this room where I know there's stuff that's reserved for the special people, the elite people. And they'll come back out just with smiles on their faces. They'll come back out looking refreshed and happy, and like life is good. And you should look that way in the gym, but they do. And I'll just wonder, like, what does it take to get there? I know what it takes to get there. It takes paying a lot more money and leveling up your membership to elite gold diamond status or whatever the thing is. And I'm at, like, pop pauper status, like poor man status down here. I've got the cheapest one possible. And then I found out literally, like, two weeks ago that I can do the hydro massage. It's available to everybody. Like, all I have to do is walk back there, just hop in the chair, and just let the water massage these sore muscles. This, this creaky back and creaky, like, it'll just, I, it's available to me. And the whole time I've thought it was reserved for an elite group of people. And so consequently, I missed out on a whole lot of just being loose. And like, if, if I've seemed tense recently, you know, it's because I haven't had a hydro massager. But now I've got one. It was available to me the whole time. The whole time. And I just now realized. The Holy Spirit is available to every single one of us to empower us to resist temptation, to empower us to walk in the way Jesus walked, to minister like he ministered. And the Holy Spirit responds to our steps of obedience. As we seek him, we seek relationship with him, and we begin to obey him, he responds to that. And the Holy Spirit can come and fill you and empower you. The Holy Spirit can come upon you and create a new kind of humanity in you just like he did for the disciples, just like he did for Jesus. It's possible. But let me ask you, do you believe it's possible? Are you willing to walk in the way Jesus is asking you to walk, to obey him, let the Holy Spirit come in? Are you willing to say, I'm, I'm a servant. Whatever God says, let that be the case for me, like Mary said. Are you willing to be like the disciples when Jesus said, go to Jerusalem? You say, first thing we're doing, go into Jerusalem. We're doing what he said, because if we obey in that way and we believe that he can transform us, the Holy Spirit will fill you. It's not a possibility. It is a certainty when you trust in his word and walk in the way Jesus has asked you to walk. The Holy Spirit will come. And he will create in you a new kind. We're not talking about these abstract, like, spiritual reality, somebody out there. We're talking about the Holy Spirit can create in you the capacity to resist all temptation, to be empowered for ministering and setting free the captives. The Holy Spirit can do that in you. But are you willing to open your life up and take steps of obedience?
We're going to wrap up in just a minute. And how we're going to do it is we're going to have a time for response time. We'll have people up front ready to pray with you. This is something we're going to start doing every week here at Foundry. We've done it some in the past. But every week, we're going to have people ready to pray with you. And I want to challenge some of you, many of you, you've got something heavy on your heart right now. You've been walking with it. It's a relationship. It's a financial need. I want to encourage you to come up and be prayed over. But some of you need to come up and be prayed over for the Holy Spirit to come into your life. For God to make clear what your step of obedience is in response to what he's asking you to do. For the Holy Spirit to give you the capacity to resist temptation. You've been, you've been living in a cycle of spiritual failure. And you need the Holy Spirit to come in and set you free. The Holy Spirit to come in and make possible what you couldn't do on your own. Jesus died for our sins and sent the Holy Spirit so you and I could become a new kind of humanity. Let's not settle for anything less. Let's obey what he's asked us to do. Let's seek his spirit and let him transform us to the very core of who we are. Let's pray together. Father, Send your Holy Spirit. Send your Holy Spirit on us right now. Transform us by your power. Reorder our thoughts. Holy Spirit, come upon us. Create in us a new kind of humanity. Father, we have no capacity to do this on our own. We're lost. We're broken on our own. But you are the one who can not only save us from our sins, but save us from the power of sin over us. Save us from our inability. 